Is this ready? Can you actually hear with this? Uh, I'm Harold Keller. I'm the Associate Dean in the College of Education. Um, I want to welcome you on behalf of Dean Kennedy and the College of Education. This is our um, sixth fall forum series, and this is part two of our sixth fall forum. Uh, this fall forum, as you know, is on disabilities as one aspect of diversity. We look at our diversity committee within the College of Education uh, examines uh, throughout the year, but also within the context of these falls uh, forums, different aspects of diversity. And this year, this fall, we're looking at uh, disabilities. Um, before I before I make a few more comments about about this one, I, I want to mention another event that is clearly related to disabilities and disabilities concerns. And that is um, on October 25th, which is a week from today, right? Today is Tuesday the 18th. At 7 p.m. in the Marshall Center Oval Theater, um, a uh, theatrical documentary about physical, emotional, and societal access issues for a diverse group of people with disabilities, not just ramps. Um, I really encourage you to attend this. This is a great, another great opportunity. This is a USF-wide kind of event, but it's, it connects directly to what we're doing here in our series. Um, last month, the first part was we had some uh, individuals with disabilities um, and also individuals representing um, different community organizations that relate to people with disabilities. Um, made presentations. Um, the focus was primarily on, on, if you will, etiquette issues in relating to and with people with disabilities. This month, uh, our focus is on inclusive education, creating optimal learning environments. Um, how do we look at um, and address issues of students with disabilities in classroom contexts and various other educational settings? Um, we have a great panel of school district personnel, um, all from Hillsborough County, um, who are professionals working in the schools, working directly with, um, with people with, and students with disabilities. Um, addressing issues and their perspectives from an academic perspective, but also from a personal and professional perspective on, on uh, regarding fairness and equity in the classroom, issues relating to response to intervention, and other aspects of inclusive education. What we'll do is we'll have the three panelists, each will make about a presentation of about 10 to 15 minutes, um, and each one will present, and then we'll open up to questions and uh, dialogue between panel members as well as with you. Um, our three panelists are Rosa Calco, and I'm having some challenges here visually uh, for some reason. Um, Rosa Calco has been a district facilitator for the Florida Inclusion Network in Hillsborough County Public Schools since 2001. Her teaching career began in 1977, and she's worked primarily as an uh, exceptional student education teacher, supporting students with disabilities 
across multiple settings, ranging from elementary through high school. Uh, Dr. Tracy Schatzberg is a supervisor of psychological services for Hillsborough County Public Schools. Uh, in addition to supporting efforts for the district school psychologist, she leads the school district's crisis intervention team, team that engages in problem solving and support for teachers and families around response to intervention for setting up programs for students with disabilities. And then lastly, uh, Tricia McManus. Um, her degrees are from University of South Florida, and for the past 20 years she's been a teacher, assistant principal, principal in Hillsborough County Public Schools, um, served as a um, turnaround principal in two high-needs elementary schools, and she's currently serving as director of leadership development for the Hillsborough County Public Schools. So, uh, I'm not sure who's going to go first. All right. Uh, they'll come up one at a time and make their presentation, and then we'll open it up to questions. Thank you. Well, good evening, and um, I just want to say thank you for inviting us here. We're happy to be in front of uh, a nice group of individuals that are headed possibly on their way to education. So we hope you get there, because you'll see people like us. and. Uh, we uh, always enjoy working with um, the younger, um, more refreshed um, educators from the universities. Um, I'm here to talk to you about one of my favorite topics, inclusive education, and it is one of my favorite topics. Um, so I feel that I just need to briefly just tell you about what the Florida Inclusion Network is all about. I'm going to re be referring to these two handouts that has the big blue FIN logo on the top, as well as the very colorful one that's behind it. Um, the, what I'd like to do is, is tell you what this project is all about. Because when you get into, or hopefully when you are working with a school system or a school, this is, you're going to run into a lot of supports that can help you in um, a lot of different things. But FIN is all about providing support for inclusive education. Um, FIN, Florida Inclusion Network, is a special project from the Florida Department of Education. It is very unique to the country in that very few states have a project that serves the entire state in supporting inclusive education. We are a network that is um, funded through um, um, IDEA which is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, uh, Part B. And our main mission is supporting a very um, large span of stakeholders from your school districts to your school administrators to the teachers to the students to the families to the communities. In addition to that, we are um, supporting agencies and universities like USF, and I don't mean supporting the universities, but we love working and collaborating with universities and other agencies 
and always the focus of providing inclusive education and supporting our kids so they're very successful. Uh, Florida Inclusion Network works on the premise that it's not just including kids, but it's making responsible inclusive education where there are outcomes, positive outcomes for our students with disabilities as well as all students. So when we as a network are trying to support schools and um, districts, we use a um, format called the Plan, Do, Act, the Plan, Do, Check, Act cycle. Um, I particularly want to take note of that because it's called, sometimes called a continuous improvement model, the CIM. Any of you that are in school, anybody in schools yet? doing any kind of internship or whatever. Okay, do you hear anything about CIM, Continuous Improvement Model? No, okay. Well, it is definitely um, a big thing in the state of Florida as well as um, you will find that across other states. But the Florida Inclusion Network uses this model because inclusive education requires collaboration beyond realms I think anybody can imagine. And it does require systemic planning. Inclusive education from Finn's perspective is not just putting kids in a general ed classroom and hoping they succeed. It's all about providing the supports necessary for all students to succeed in those classrooms. And inclusive education from our perspective, and I think uh, you'll agree from literature, is not about kids earning that right. It's about that's where they, they should start or belong and what do they need. So we use this plan, do, check, act at whatever level we are um, collaborating with. And it's basically, um, plan is all about, you know, you start with the plan because you want to improve or change something because this is all about a change model. Then you go ahead and um, when you plan, you then start to do a do, but you do it on a very small scale. It's never about walking into a district and all of a sudden every school is going to be 100% inclusive. That is too much change, you don't have enough supports, and that doesn't usually work very well. So you do start on a smaller scale, the do. After you implement that, according to your plan for a little bit of time, you do a check, which is analyzing the data. How is it going? Is it going according to plan? So on and so forth. And then you come back to, an, or then you go to an act, which is you act upon that data and you either continue to move forward or you change because things are not looking like you should do. When we sometimes go into schools, we will do this plan, do, check, act two or three times in one year because you don't want to put it in place in September and wait until June and say, oh, well that didn't work. Okay, so. All right, so that didn't work. So we like there's several students that didn't make gains. So let's try something different next year. That's so, that's a little too late now in our accountability that um, we put this uh, we raised the accountability for our students um, with disabilities as well as all students. And there's no longer do we work with the fact that we could wait a whole year before we make changes. So with the Plan Do Check Act, the other handout I provided you is. Um, showing you, no, it's this one, sorry. Um, it's providing, remember I was telling you the span of how Finn provides support? Here are the four areas, and showing you how that plan, do, check, act cycle does actually work. 
and I'm not going to read it to you, you guys can read it, but I understand when you read through this, it's all about systemic change. It's not about just putting it there and hoping it works and so on and so forth. Inclusive education, when you start with even one classroom at a school, it impacts that entire school. And I mean from administrators down to the custodial staff. It, everybody gets impacted. Everybody needs to think differently in providing those supports. And it also requires you to, utilizing all the resources that are at that school or at that district. Um, so it is in Hillsborough County, it is not mandated that every school do it, but it is based on the IEP that drives least restrictive environment as the first consideration. So in a lot of cases, a lot of our students do start in general ed throughout their day, but then there's reasons or um, based on data or whatever, based on the students, that sometimes they still are pulled for whatever reason. Um, the FIN network, um, statewide we have 17 offices and one administration office, and some of us are regional and some of us are district. In Hillsborough County, there are two district FIN facilitators, myself and Denise Friends, but when you go up into the state where you have um, um, districts where you only have three schools um, or districts with seven schools, they combine five or six of those districts and make one FIN facilitate that way. Um, but in Hillsborough County, with the huge amount of schools we have, it constitutes not only one, but four years ago we got a second one. So um, I think that is about all I was going to say about FIN. Uh, we have a website. It's not on there. Please visit the website. It is uh, www.floridainclusionnetwork.com. You will find all kinds of resources there for um, families, educators, and um, reading materials, and, um, and similar to what I gave you on this paper. Okay, I think that's it. Thank you very much. Hello, how are you doing? All right. I need you to be alive so that I can be alive with you. So um, I'm here. Oh, I'm Tracy Schatzberg. I'm with Hillsborough County Schools. And in case you didn't know, that is the best darn school district in the nation. I went, yeah, it's true. They made me. So I, I do they make you too? They made Tricia as well. Do they make you, Rose? Yeah. So there you go. So we're all products of Hillsborough County Schools. So we're very proud uh, to be here this evening to talk with you about this. I'm um, here to speak specifically about problem-solving response to intervention, which is going to be, we'll be referring back to this uh, little triangle here, um, back and forth. I'm very passionate about RTI uh, because it's the right thing to do for kids. And actually, um, one of our supervisors on staff kidded me that RTI really stands for Really Tracy's Initiative because every time I open my mouth, it's about RTI. So let me explain to you what it is. As you check in the literature, you'll often see, and as you should see, it's not RTI in isolation. You should see problem-solving response to intervention, PSRTI, because it doesn't do a lick of good to look at how someone is responding to an intervention if you haven't done some good problem-solving up front to figure out what's going on. So let me back up for a second to talk about why we've gotten to the point where we're saying we need to problem-solve and figure out how students are responding to our instruction and intervention. And look kind of at our, our history in school. 
we recognize throughout the years that we have groups of students who need different levels of support. Uh, we have students who might be English language learners, students with disabilities. Can anybody else think of a, of a group, a label? Come on! We might have Title I students who are low income. We might have bright students. What do we call the bright students? We have students that are in the gifted program. There's all different students out there. And so we created these great systems to come in and support these students. But what we found is that by creating gifted, ELL, ESE, ASD, we ended up sometimes competing with each other. Unintentionally, our, our minds and our hearts were in the right place about creating what supports were needed for students who had um, differing needs in education, but it sometimes became a funding issue. Well, you can't work with that student because I'm working and this student has to be this. Or um, our, our, uh, we might have competing contingencies or, or interfering uh, goals. And so what we've recognized with problem-solving response to intervention is the need to not have duplicated efforts, but instead to have a framework where we serve all of our students. So, oh, and, and also, uh, before I get into the, the, the triangle, the RTI triangle, we have the legal mandate of it. You heard uh, Rose talk about IDEA, and back actually in 1997 when it was reauthorized, they were really beginning to talk a lot about accountability and recognizing that when you have a student who's identified as having special needs, say a student with a disability, that we should still be accountable for making sure that they are making adequate yearly progress. Then when IDEA was reauthorized in 2004, for the first time they really started creeping into the general education setting and they started saying things like, you shouldn't be identifying a student as needing special education services until you can show for sure that you've done a good job in the general education setting. So problem solving response to intervention is not special ed, it's not general ed, it's every ed. Which leads me to the lovely response to intervention pyramid or triangle. When I show this to teachers and to schools, I say that this is not a pyramid, excuse me, not a volcano. It's not a volcano where ESC students or gifted students spew out the top and land in another location or in another classroom. This represents your school and it represents every student within the school. And since I don't have a PowerPoint, which I'm used to, I'm going to try to kind of focus you um, in this little area here so that we can talk about the multi-tiered systems of support. But what we're talking about with response to intervention is a framework for, provi for providing high-quality instruction that's actually matched to student need. We do this to support all students, general education, special education students, and it's about making data-based decisions. For a long time, we've operated on the gut. How are they doing? Well, they're doing okay, or no, they're not doing okay, and instead what we're really looking at is data. And we're recognizing that you don't necessarily have to start with special education. We should really start in the least restrictive setting in the general education environment. So let me ask you this. If you were to go to the doctor, and the doctor said, hmm, looks like you have high cholesterol, what kind of things might the doctor say that we need to talk about doing to help you with your cholesterol? Lose weight? Eat better. Eat better. Very good. What else? Exercise. What else might they say? Medication. They may say medication. So those are kind of some standard things that we tend to hear. Um, why, don't, why don't we just start with medication? I mean, if we take the medication, the cholesterol's likely to drop, right? Why, why don't we just start there? 
Yes, sir. The side effects. There are side effects to medications. Exactly. Very good. Yes, ma'am. It's not fixing the problem. It may not be fixing the problem. The root problem. The root. Yeah. Like what's causing the issue? Yep. Very good. Let me ask you this: If we start with medication and the cholesterol drops, what do you think? I mean, is it possible that we'll we'll never know if really just putting down that fried chicken every day might have made a difference? or exercising might have made a difference instead of going right to that medication. So now take that analogy and place it in the education system when we have a student who's struggling. What we're now doing is stepping back and saying, okay, we may not need to start with special education. We may need to go there, okay? I'm not saying that, not, that there aren't students who need special education services, but what we're trying to talk about in a problem-solving response to intervention model is stepping back and saying, hey, what can we do first in the least restrictive setting to help the student get better? Because we do know that there are side effects that can go along with being, say, labeled. Tell me what might be a, a side effect. Talk about the side effect of medication. What might be a side effect of being labeled? What's that? Bullying. bullying. There may be bullying. Lower self-esteem. Self Good. Discouraged. Yes, ma'am. Exclusion, all of those things. Now, again, I'm not here to say that we don't have students who, who might not need it, but I'm going to talk with you about what we're talking about with the spirit of RTI. It's truly about finding what students need. So what we don't want to happen is, rec is saying, Tracy's struggling, let's test her and see what special education classroom she needs to be in. And instead we're saying, let's figure out what Tracy needs and then figure out the best place to serve her. And with any luck, that's in a general education setting, either with support from the general ed teacher, with support from a special education teacher, and then if that's not working, we start to move into more restrictive settings. So looking at the triangle, what you see here are basically three different tiers of support. You see the green area, that's what we call tier one. That's your core, so whether it's academic, or behavioral systems, there are core things that take place at every school. Core reading, core math, blah, 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 all those different things. There should also be core discipline things, core behavior things. We've, you, I don't know if you've heard this said before, but you know, think about it. When we have students who don't know how to read, we teach them how to read. When they don't know how to do math, we teach them how to do math. And when they don't know how to behave, what do we do? We punish. Okay? There's this weird system that we tend to do. So what we're talking about here is saying, how are we teaching reading? How are we teaching all the academic areas? And how are we teaching our students our behavioral expectations? How are we defining it? How are we reinforcing it? And what data are we using to help know if we're making a, a really good impact? This has been a different way of thinking in the school district. I'm gonna tell you, RTI, it hurts a little bit because it's, been, it's really easy to say a student is struggling, what class do they need? And instead, what we're saying is let's step back and say, hmm, how is everybody doing in the classroom? How is the school doing? Kind of like if you had an aquarium full of sick fish, okay? You look, there's a lot of fish. You could take a fish, I can take a fish, you could take a fish, we can all take a fish and do interventions. We probably will help some get better, we may lose some fish along the way. If you, really, if you look and you have an aquarium full of a bunch of sick fish, can anybody think of maybe a better start? What's the first thing we might want to check? The water. Maybe the water is an issue. Maybe the filtration is an issue. So take that and look into a classroom or in a school. We talk about our accountability. We want to look at how we're doing as a whole. And if the majority of our students, as you can see, the majority of our students, if they're not making it, 
that we have core issues, and we shouldn't say Tracy needs special education if everybody in that classroom has multiple discipline referrals. Okay, so we start with that. We problem solve. A huge thing that I hope that you guys will do when you get into your classrooms is do a good job with problem identification because what we tend to do a lot of times is spray and pray. We spray on any intervention that we can think of and we pray that something sticks. Okay? When what we ought to do is sit down and really identify what the problem is, analyze it, then put an intervention into place, and then check how the student is responding to that intervention. So what we're training our schools to do is start in that green area. They're starting at the tier one, and they're saying, how is your core in academics and behavior? If the majority, and you see all, that's what all students get, but if the majority of your students are making it, then we can go, okay, our, water's, our water is okay. Then we start to identify students who are in need of more intensive supports because we recognize that not every student is going to make it with just core instruction or core behavior supports. So we then identify students who are more in the um, need for strategic, they're at risk students. So these students might have reading fluency issues, they may have uh, decoding issues, they may have social skills concerns. So we then put an intervention into place that helps a targeted group of students do well. We have to identify truly what the cause is so that we treat it correctly and we look at how they respond to that intervention. If we have a good intervention in place, the majority of those kids should get better and go back into the core. If the majority of our students don't respond to that tier two intervention, what do you think might be the problem? We might have an intervention problem. We might need to change the intervention. We might have the right intervention in the wrong kid. We might have the right intervention that we're not doing with fidelity. If your doctor prescribes antibiotics twice a day for seven days and you take one a day every other day, is it that the antibiotic didn't work? No, we didn't do it with fidelity. So it's about, again, problem solving and saying, how are our students who are getting tier two supports doing? If they're doing well, then we've got a good system in place. We'll continue or drop back to that green area. And then, only then do we start to recognize that, that there's that red area, that we have a few students who need targeted individual interventions. So when we do a good job of addressing the water, then we have much more resources to put for those individual fish, those individual students who need targeted support. What we often do is we outrun our coverage. So if you have a class of 15 students and 12 of them are getting intensive interventions, we're outrunning our coverage. We need to step back. If you've got the majority of your students not making it academically or behaviorally, we put some core things into place that we do for everybody. Uh, so that is truly the spirit of problem-solving response to intervention. It's about identifying what a student needs and then stepping back and saying, okay, Tracy got better. What did it take to maintain that, that behavior, that teach that skill? Well, what it took was intensive support from the teacher an hour a day. And then we go, hmm, to maintain that, Maybe we should look now to see if we have a student with a learning disability, a student with a disability who needs special education services so that we can support that. What we've tended to do is not really do good problem solving. We then test the student, send them to the ESE teacher, the exceptional student education teacher, to figure out how to teach the student. Imagine this world. We do a good job at the core and a great job with our tier two supports. So then when we finally, we find the students who need intensive supports, we figure out how they achieve, and then we give a prescription 
to the ESC teacher that says, here's what Tracy needs, because we already see her responding to this intervention, we just need you to maintain it. This is a different way of thinking, because we're really talking about looking at the whole school, looking at targeted, then looking at individual, when it's really much easier to just say the problem is within the student. So as you go out and you are in, in, in a setting where you're working with professional learning communities, we're talking about data. And the reason we're talking about data is because we're asking you to check your water. Okay, have I gone on? <gasps> Thank you very much. All right.